0: Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. All right, so last night I told Saturday Night Service, because they're our test service, I told them, and they know that, so don't feel like I'm just kind of throwing it on them, they're our test service, and I told them that we're going to be doing a first, that we are going to be jumping into the book of Jonah as the first time we've ever done that as a church, and I was wrong. I got a few texts after the message, realizing that although I've been here for many years, I've missed a few studies. Um... Apparently, we've had three guest teachers uh, teach in the book of Jonah. Uh, One did a character study, one did one chapter, or two did uh, one chapters each. But we as a church, as far as Pastor Ed is concerned, has never studied through the book here with our congregation. So I'm correcting myself for you Saturday-nighters that are listening right now. I have (coughs) corrected. So we're going to be jumping into Jonah chapter 1 but I have a few questions for you before we get started. They're pretty obvious, and because this is going to be played uh, a future, they're not going to be able to see you guys. Instead of raising your hand, if you agree, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, cool. That was test. Here comes question number one. How many of you guys get tired? Amen. Amen. How many of you guys get tired of waiting? Amen. Amen. That was kind of lighter than the first one. Okay, that's good. This one, everyone should say amen. Just giving you a heads up. That's the answer. How many of you guys get, how many of you guys are thankful that God doesn't get tired of waiting for you? Amen. There we go. Amen. Yeah, I agree. And it's important to realize that our God, He's loving. We know that from 1 John 4, 8, it says God is love. We know that in 2nd Chron- or 1 Chronicles 16 that His love endures forever. We know, obviously, John three sixteen which says that He so loved the world that He sent His only Son. Like, we know that we serve a God of love. And we also are thankful that we serve a God who is patient. You know, because in Galatians 5.25, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit and how we can have love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control through the Holy Spirit. And in order for us to have that, that means it comes from a heavenly Father, right? It it comes from the Lord. So that means our God is loving, and He's joyful, and He's peaceful, and He's kind, He's good, He's gentle, He's patient, or long-suffering. But it never really occurs to us that that's the God we're serving when we go through a time of correction. You know, when we get corrected, it's kind of hard to see or visualize the God that we know who is full of love and who desires a relationship with us, who is gracious and merciful is really this gracious and merciful if we're being corrected. It's kind of hard. I think of when I was a kid, you know, living under my parents' roof, and I wasn't always the best kid. You know, I just wasn't, and I'm sure many of you can agree to that. There were times when the belt was brought out and the paddle was brought out, and and there was times where you (laughs) you grew an immunity to the belt and the paddle, so the grounding word came out, and whatever other punishment that your parents brought to you, And I remember as a kid thinking, man, I can't believe this is love. I can't, as I'm sitting there getting spanked, I was like, this is, no way is this love. I don't understand it. And now that I stand here before you today, I, I laugh a little bit thinking about those times because it was. My parents loved me enough to say, hey, you're doing the wrong thing and you need to snap out of it. And they didn't spank me out of anger. You know, they didn't spank me because I just can't stand this kid. You know, they didn't do that. They They spanked me because they knew that this was going to teach me a lesson. They grounded me from certain things because they knew that this was going to teach me a lesson. And today, as we jump in the book of Jonah, chapter one, we're going to cover the whole chapter. We're going to see the Lord starting this correction in Jonah's life. And growing up, this is one of the most popular stories, uh, not just in the church, but really in the world. You know, you have Noah in the ark, you have Moses in the Ten Commandments, you have Jesus in the cross, you have Samson, the strongest guy, you know, ever. And then you have Jonah, the guy who gets eaten by a fish. And growing up, you know, I always thought, man, if you disobey God, you're going to go into a storm and you're going to get eaten by a fish. Like, that's just it. You're going to get punished. But as I'm studying this passage and really digging into it, I'm realizing that that wasn't God's heart at all. It wasn't a heart of anger. You know, God wasn't angry with Jonah. In fact, he was showing immense patience and long-suffering with this disobedient prophet. And today we're going to be looking at, one, the encouraging fact that God is gracious and long-suffering with us, just like he is with Jonah in this story. But he's also, we're also going to be partially, if you're like me as I was studying through this, a little convicted, because we're going to see that we, like Jonah, can also be a little rebellious and completely disobey the word of the Lord and what that affects and how that affects the people around us. So if you would, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We'll read up to verse 4. We'll pause right there. To give you some background, Jonah is a prophet. We know this for you note takers. You can mark down 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. He's mentioned as a prophet, the son of Amittai. We also know that Nineveh was a large city. It, was the, it would become the capital of Assyria. Assyria was a wicked nation. Again, for you note takers, if you'd like to take notes, Nahum 3, verses 1, 4, and 16 speak about the wickedness of the Assyrian people. Uh, they're also known in secular history as being a very wicked nation, uh, violent and evil. In fact, Jonah 3.8, the king himself says, we are an evil and violent people, and we need to repent, we need to turn from our ways, spoiler alert, uh, for those of you who study on in the book of Jonah. And here we have the Lord calling Jonah, this prophet, to go to this wicked nation, go to one of their largest cities, and rebuke them for their sin in the name of God. And Jonah, we see in verse 3, arises to flee. Not only that, let me paint a better picture for you with Assyria. I'm not going to give you the gruesome details, but I'll give you a couple of examples. And if this inspires you to study more, please do. You'll see how wicked and evil these people were. But just as a couple of examples, the Assyrians were the type of people that after they defeated you, uh, they would skin you alive and hang your skin on walls. Uh, Not only that, they would take your bones and make furniture out of them. Uh, this was the, the type of people that they were known to be. When uh, countries knew the Assyrians were coming, they would already they would just give up. They would just say, We surrender, and they would send a messenger out and say, Hey, we surrender, you don't have to do anything, just tell us what you want us to give you. Because it's much better than <laughs> it's much better than dying and getting skinned alive and, and making our bones into furniture. You know, that was the type of people that God was calling Jonah to go and rebuke. And Jonah's response. And again, I don't want this to sound like, man, I can't believe you, Jonah, but it will sound like that. We will find out that Jonah's reaction was disobedient. But his response is pretty, I mean, I would do the same thing, I think. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, Tarshish, another fun fact, if you think of Israel, Nineveh is to the east and Tarshish was all the way in the opposite direction in west, as far west as you could go. It was a coast city, uh, a port city off the coast of Spain. And Jonah's first reaction wasn't, hey, I'm going to leave. No, I'm going to go to the farthest place I can think of in the opposite direction. I'm not just going to go, I'm not just not going to go, I'm going to go as far away as I can to try to run away from God. And then it says, he went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. There's three things I want to point out in verse three. So we're going to camp out here for a little bit. The first is in that first sentence, that he decides to go to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Automatically, like we think this is an obvious sin, Jonah. If the Lord has called you to go, why are you saying no? And not just saying no, like emphasizing that no by picking the farthest place you could possibly ever go. And when I first read that, I was like, this just is so silly. Even after thinking, you know, the Assyrians are a wicked people, but still, like, God gave you a direct word. You know, how many of us would get a direct word from the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I'm totally going to ignore this, and I'm going in the opposite direction. No, thank you. I want nothing to do with that. And I let that simmer a little bit on my heart, and the Lord convicted me. He said, you do it all the time. Like, I tell you things all the time that you decide to say no to. You may not go to the far ends of the earth, but you say no to my will. And he convicted me. You know, I think of King David. He was the uh, man after God's own heart. And we know that David made some mistakes. Uh, we know that he committed adultery and that in order to hide it, in order to lie about it, he murdered the, the husband of that woman. We also know that it took until 2 Samuel chapter 12 when God sent the prophet Nathan to his house. And to summarize it for you, again, for you note takers, you can do study on the side, You know, the prophet Nathan comes and and he's coming with a word for David and he says, David, I want to tell you a story. There was a rich man with a lot of sheep and there was a poor guy with one little lamb. He treated it like his own child. And he said, one day the rich man had a visitor and instead of taking one of his many sheep to prepare a meal, he took the poor guy's little lamb and he prepared a meal out of it. And David immediately just gets all fired up. I can't believe this guy would do, I cannot believe, who is he? Tell me who he is because I'm going to put him to death. And I, whoa, David, and Nathan the prophet says, you are that man. You're the guy. You committed the same sin. And at that moment, it became obvious to David of his sins. You know, because life has a, emotions and life, you know, it has a tendency to distort what goes on. You know, the circumstances and the choices that you have. For David, I'm sure he was caught up in the sin, caught up in the emotion, caught up in the, the distraction of life, of what the pleasure was going to bring if he, if he had this woman. But it wasn't until Nathan the prophet came into, this, into his life by the Lord and convicted him of his obvious sin. And for us, I think it's important that we self-examine, that we allow the Lord to search our hearts and know us, reveal to us those areas. And that would be the first point of verse 3. Are your sins obvious to you? Are the obvious sins obvious to you? Are you at a place where the Lord can speak to you in those ways? The second thing, pick up with me again in verse 3 the second half, or the second sentence, it says, he went down to Joppa, which was a port city, and found a ship going to Tarshish. I also am humored by how many times the word Tarshish is mentioned in this verse. And it took me a little bit to be able to say it like I'm saying it. So on the count of three, I want you guys to say it with me, uh, just because it's unfair that I've said it at least 12 times in the beginning of our message. Okay, so one, two, three, Tarshish. One more time. One, two, three, Tarshish. There we go. How many of you guys just nailed that? No problem. Amen. Remember, amen. This is another test. Amen. How many of you guys nailed that with no problem? Only a few of you. Not all of you. (laughs) But it says he goes down to Joppa, Porch City, and it just so happens there's a ship going to the farthest west of the world you could possibly go. A ship going to Tarshish. And I find it interesting and, and convenient that when Jonah desired to sin, there was a ship ready to take him as far as he wanted to go. I find that interesting because we know, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that our God makes a way of escape for any temptation that comes before us. But on the flip side, I think the enemy also makes ways for us to sin or to walk away as far from the Lord as we want to. And for Jonah, he just so happens to go to Joppa, and it just so happens that there's a ship heading to as far as you could go away from Joppa, as far west. And let that be a warning for us today. You know, the enemy's clever. He's sly. He's looking for ways to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Don't be surprised if it's super convenient for you to continue in your sin. Don't be surprised if everything just happens to line up for you to walk away from the Lord. So that's what's happening with Jonah. He chose to arise and flee. He gets to Joppa, and guess what? The city he wanted to go to, Tarshish, there's a boat heading to Tarshish. Point number two don't be surprised if the enemy helps you out. Don't be surprised if the enemy makes a way of escape from the Lord's will for your life. Last thing in verse three it says So he paid, speaking of Jonah, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He paid the fare. We see right here that Jonah invested in his sin. You know, he not only chose to go, he not only finds a ship, but now he's investing in his sin. And that was convicting for me, not only because Jonah was a prophet, so that means that what he was using to pay for it was from the Lord, you know, in, in being a pastor here, the, the money that I, I make, you know, what am I using it for? Is it for the Lord? Is it for sin? Am I investing that in sin? But the bigger picture, the bigger idea is, you know, every good thing that comes to our lives is from the Lord. That's what the scriptures say. Every good gift is from the Lord, including our time, including our life. And how much of that are we investing in our sin? You know, how much of that are we just giving away? Because, you know, we, we're, we're starting to make those choices to, to walk away from the Lord. For Jonah, he's now, he, he's, he's investing. He, he's going all the way. He's paying for something. And I, I think Again, for you note-takers, this is a key for us to remember that when we want to get involved with sin, it's cheap initially, but eventually it's going to be costly. You know, I guarantee you it's going to be costly because of the consequences that come with sin. Because our God's righteous, He's just, and He loves us, but He's righteous and just, and He's going to allow us to suffer the consequences of our sin. He's going to allow us to suffer the, the things that come about. He's going to forgive us, and we're free and clear. We have the freedom in Christ as believers, but we will suffer consequences. And for us, sin is cheap initially, but costly eventually. That would be the last point for verse three. But we also know, like I was saying earlier in our intro, that You know, our God is a God of love, and He loves us very much. And we also know that He is described as our Heavenly Father. And according to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, if you would turn there with me, it'll be the first place we turn today. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. We have a God of love, and we have a God who desires our best. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, give us some insight on what our loving God will do with us. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know, we all said, We're just thankful. You know, we're thankful that the Lord will wait for us. We're thankful that the Lord is loving towards us. And I heard you guys say, Man, you guys said, I'm thankful that the Lord waits for me. And right now, Jonah's about to find out what it means for the Lord's long-suffering in his life. Because you think about it, you know, Jonah could have been wiped off the face of the planet right then and there when he arose to disobey the Lord. The Lord could have just, boom, gone. See you later, Jonah. But he doesn't. He lets Jonah take these steps. He lets him go to Joppa. He lets him get on the ship, but all for a reason. And that reason is because he's about to bring a storm into Jonah's life to reveal to him his mistake. And sin is just a fancy word for a mistake against the Lord. And Jonah's about to find out his mistake through a storm. There's two storms I want to point out to you that we see in scriptures. There's uh, a few more that you could also see, but two that we'll focus on for today. There's a perfecting storm, and there's a correcting storm. A perfecting storm, to give you an example, would be something like Joseph the life of Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. It wasn't because he was sinning against them. He was accused of rape uh, unjustly. He was thrown into prison again for the accusation. He was forgotten about in prison and completely just left alone. It seems like he just suffered, 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 suffered for no sin at all. However, the Lord was allowing these trials in his life. He was allowing these situations to build him and to grow him to strengthen his faith for two reasons. One, he was going to be the second most powerful commander in all of Egypt. He would usher in really the the future of the Israelites. Two, it was also preparing him for that time where he was going to be able to forgive his brothers for what they had done to him. That would be seen as a perfecting storm. He went through those things not because he was sinning against the Lord, but because the Lord allowed it to grow him. Another example, if you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Another example of a perfecting storm would be what happened to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Pick up with me. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, speaking, and this is Jesus speaking, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, uh, he was, uh, excuse me, verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the seas uh, and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and the, there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Second of the example of a perfecting storm, the disciples are just cruising along. The Lord told them to go across the sea. They encounter a literal storm and they freak out. They're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Lord, don't you care? And he stands up, peace, silence, and calm. That was to grow their faith. They didn't, uh, it wasn't because they were sinning. It wasn't because they were uh, in sin. They didn't do something that brought this storm it was just so the Lord could grow them through this situation and show them their lack of faith. They needed more. So that's an example of a perfecting storm. Right now, we're about to read about an example of a correcting storm, which I really want to make this uh, clear. A correcting storm isn't God's anger on you because of your disobedience. What Jonah's about to experience isn't because God is angry with him. It isn't because God is upset with him. It's because God is trying to refocus and redirect him. This storm, this correcting storm, is a showing of patience and long-suffering by the Lord to get Jonah back on track. God's intention is never to harm Jonah. It's never to make Jonah come to a place of complete, um, you know, it's never to cause Jonah to die, essentially, because this is what the storm is going to look like. He just wants Jonah to realize, hey, you've made a mistake by disobeying me. You've chosen the wrong direction. And he decides to bring a literal storm. Pick up with me in verse 4 in Jonah chapter 1. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. Verse 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And we'll pause there. Sometimes we only have the idea that, you know, our God is loving, he's caring, he's gentle, he's kind, he's, and he's all those things, but we kind of forget that he's not just the God who calms the sea like in Mark chapter 4, but he's also the God that can stir something up to get our attention. He, he loves you so much that he's not willing for you to get all the way to Tarshish in your life. He's willing to, to slow you down, to slow your roll. He's willing to, to help you get saved from your sin, give you another gracious opportunity to say, whoa. What am I doing? And for Jonah, it says in verse five that he had lain down and was fast asleep. And that kind of gives me a picture. I don't think this storm came right away, like right as soon as they left port, you know, then boom, the storm came. I think they were able to sail off for a little bit. Enough for Jonah to kind of get like, all right, I'm I'm making it. Like, I'm really running from the Lord right now. I escaped his presence, you know? And he decides to go down, he falls asleep. And then all of a sudden this storm comes and he's totally out of it. The storm comes and it says in verse uh, 4, and it's so bad, it's about to break up the ship. Like, this was not just a, a simple rainstorm. Like, this is a, a turbulent, tempestuous as we're going to see, storm that's about to break the ship apart. So much so it causes these mariners, these well-trained sailors, to cry out to their gods, to cry out to their idols. You know, they're, they're, they're screaming out for desperation, like, what are we going to do? Save us, save us. You know what? Go wake up that guy down in the boat. See if his God's going to answer us. So the captain goes down, and I think this is a great picture for us, and I know it was a convicting one for me, so I know it'll be a convicting one for those of us here in this room as well. But sometimes, because of our sin, we get so comfortable, we get so carefree that we fall asleep, not just physically, but spiritually. When the world around us is crying out for desperation, for saving, for hope, for joy... You know, we're busy because we're sleeping. We're too comfortable in our sin. We're out of it, like Jonah. We're unaware of what's going on around us. And that's a tough place to be because you see this picture of of these sailors just crying out, Lord, crying, not even Lord, to their false gods, whatever it might be, just crying out, we need to be saved. And the guy with the answer, the guy who has the answer of salvation is asleep on the bottom of the ship. And especially with what's going on in our country and what's going on around the world today. You know, there are people crying out to their idols, whether it be uh, their fake relationships they're getting into, whether it's the fornication, whether it's the lies, whether it's the drugs, the alcohols, the sports teams, the media, binge-watching TV shows. They're going to their idols to kind of get some type of comfort away from what's going around in the world around them today. And, and here we are, if we're comfortable in our sin, silently sleeping, While the world's crying out for a savior. Like Jonah, we have the answer, yet we're out of it because we become comfortable. we become sleeping Christians. And right away, you know, I I thought as I was studying this, like, am I a sleeping Christian? Is that me? You know, how do I know? Like, no, it can't be me. And, you know, start coming up with different things. Like, no, it's... Well, Pastor David Guzik of Calvary, Santa Barbara, he sets up this list. You know, he sets up this list, and I'll read it so I don't mess it up from my notes says, some sleeping Christians protest that they are not asleep at all. You know, some of us say, no, I'm not a sleeping Christian. And here's what he says. They say, I walk, or I talk about Jesus, but you can talk in your sleep. I have a walk for Jesus, but you can walk in your sleep. You know, I have a passion for Jesus. You know, I, I just cried and worshipped the other day. That song really got me. You know, that, that study really got me. But you can cry in your sleep. We have joy and rejoice in Jesus. You know, I, I have joy in Jesus all the time but you can laugh in your sleep. And the last one, you know, I think about Jesus all the time, but you can think in your sleep. It's called dreaming. And It just kind of hit me. And I was like, Lord, am I that type of believer? Is there something in my life that I'm willing, that I've said no to you, and it's been a long time maybe, or maybe it was just yesterday. Is there something that I've said no to that I've allowed my heart to grow hard towards you? where I've, I've gone in the wrong direction, where I'm now I'm so comfortable in whatever it was that I'm asleep and I'm missing out on the opportunities to be that light that we're called to be, right? In Matthew chapter five, we're the light of the world. And especially in these dark times, you know, are, are you paying attention to those that are around you, your coworkers, your family members, your neighbors? Like, are you, are you hearing they're, they're trying to reach out to you? They're crying out to you. They're telling you about their life, stuff that's going on. They're, they're telling you about what they're worried about, but, you know, you're just out of the loop because you're comfortable in your sin, like Jonah was. He was out of it. And it took this storm, it took this correcting storm, to cause this captain to go wake him up. Pick up with me in verse 7. Things are about to get real interesting for Jonah. Although he's, wake, he's woken up, it's not necessarily that this is all on him yet. Because in verse 7 it says, And they, speaking of the sailors, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. And again, remember, this is during a crazy storm. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. (laughs) And you want to talk about Numbers 32, 23, when it says, you know, your sin's going to find you out. This is quite literal for Jonah. They're casting, they're doing a guessing game. You know, they're a little bit superstitious, and they're like, well, let's see if it's one of us. And it ends up falling on this mysterious passenger who's been sleeping on the bottom of the ship. It's Jonah. So they go to him in verse 8, and they say, Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? So he said to them, speaking of Jonah, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. You know, Jonah was presented with a choice after the men pinpointed him as being the reason that this crazy storm is upon them. They come up to him and they say, who in the world are you? What do you do? Where are you from? And who's your God? And Jonah had a choice, another choice. And I think this was the beginning of his breaking, the beginning of his repentance, because we'll see throughout the book of Jonah, if you do a further study, that he's, he's a pretty complex kind of guy, like many of us. It takes a few stages for him to come to a full repentance. But this is stage one. He's realizing that what he did was incorrect. He should not have run from the Lord. And with this choice, he could have either easily lied again or misled them with the truth, but he doesn't. It says that he stands up and he says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the God who created the dry land and sea. And when you see Lord, the word Lord capitalized each letter, as we talked about, I believe it was last week, We speak of uh, Yahweh, you know, the God of Israel, who most likely was well-known by this time as having a name for himself. Remember, this is in the time of kings, so after King Solomon was reigning, who made, like, he was just the most famous king throughout all the world in his time because of his wisdom. So the God of Israel is known, and, and Jonah says, that's who I serve. He could have easily lied, but he decides not to. He decides to tell them the truth, he says, I serve the God who is the God of the l- dry land and the sea. And they ask him in verse 10, why have you done this? Because I think between verse 9 and 10, Jonah does tell them the whole story, that he fled from the Lord, that he ran away. It doesn't give us his full perspective. Uh, it doesn't tell us exactly word for word what he told them. But it was enough for them to get the idea that this guy disobeyed his God. He disobeyed uh, Yahweh. And now this storm is because of him. And they're realizing, man, his God really wants his attention. They're understanding now and having a fear, this developing respect for this God of Yahweh, or this God named Yahweh, the great I am. And it says, why have you done this? And I just want to give this as a side note. It's really, it hurts when you're, when you are challenged by an unbeliever because of your sin. When you're rebuked by an unbeliever and you're a Christian, you know, if you accidentally, you know, speak a cuss word, and they're like, hold on, like, aren't you, aren't you a believer? Like, do you do that? Is that okay now? Are we, are we in a time of Christianity where we can cuss now? Because I kind of like that. That means church is cool, you know, and it hurts. You're like, oh, no, like I, I shouldn't have done that. It messes my witness up. And for Jonah, he has a pretty messed up witness now. And they ask him, why did you do that? Why are you running away from your God? And this is the reason your God is doing this, this storm? And he says, yes, you know, it's because of me. And in verse 11, they say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. And they come to him and he's revealed that, yeah, it's because of me, this is the whole story. So okay, then what are we gonna do for the sea to be calm? Because it's getting crazier. It's saying it's becoming more temptuous. It's getting like the more that Jonah reveals about this huge story about his sin, it's like the Lord is emphasizing it with a crazier storm. It's just getting more and more intense. And he says, he comes to this place where it says in verse 12, pick up with me. And he said to them, Jonah speaking, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you for I know that this, is, that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Part of the reason I think this is the Lord emphasizing is because he was making the storm even harder for those men to get back. You know, they were probably thinking in their heads, okay, if his problem was that he ran away from God, then all we have to do is return him back to land and we're good. Then the Lord can deal with him. So let's try to get him back because we don't want to throw him overboard. And let that be a lesson to us too. Even though you might stand for truth, you might eventually come to that point where you're like, no, I messed up and I need to stand for righteousness again. Don't expect the people listening to you to take your word right away. Because right now, this whole point, the whole reason that they're in the storm is because this guy has been misleading them or lying to them or not telling them the full truth. And now he does tell them the truth. And he says, you got to throw me overboard. You got to kill me. I don't know if I really want to believe this guy right now. Let's just drop him off. Let's try to do it in our own strength. Let's just see if we can get rid of him. But Jonah here was doing something, an act of repentance. He was telling them the hard answer. He was saying, you need to throw me out into this crazy storm, this storm that's about to break up the ship you got to throw me out there. And some of you are thinking, well, Jonah knew that the storm would be calm. You know, like he knew that if they threw him out there, he'd be fine. But I think Jonah understood there had to be a cost for his sin. He understood there had to be a payment for his sin. There had to be a sacrifice made for his disobedience, for his mistake. And yes, the sea would have been calm, but don't forget, Jonah would have been stranded in the middle of the ocean for who knows how long. He was expected and prepared to do that. In order for these men to be saved, he was, he was prepared to make that sacrifice, to give that hard answer, to go all the way. He didn't encourage them, you know, take me back to land, it's all good. No, just throw me over right now, the Lord will calm this. He was expected and ready to die. And the men are like, no, I don't think we're gonna do that, let's try to get him home. And the Lord's like, no, he emphasized it again. He made the storm even crazier makes them come to this point where they come in verse 14 with this respect now for Yahweh, the true God. They say, therefore they cried out, pick up with me in verse 14, to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us uh, with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So in verse 15, they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. We'll pause there. You see the sailors come all the way around. You know, they're, they're crying out to their idols and now they're crying out to the one true God and saying, hey, we're about to throw this guy overboard. Please don't charge us with his sin. It's not because of us. Your prophet's telling us to throw him. This is all from you. We see that this storm is from you. Please have mercy on us. They were throwing all their chips in the Lord's bag. They pick up Jonah in verse 15. They toss him overboard. Then boom, the sea was calm. And I don't want to speed through that too quickly because I wanted to, I personally, when I was studying, I had to read it a couple times because I, I do, I am guilty of reading the Bible too fast and just kind of going over some of the miracles that happen here. But think of this scene. This is a crazy storm that has only gotten crazier from verse four. A storm that was ready to break their ship apart has just become more tempestuous times two. They throw this guy into the sea and now it is extremely calm. Done. It wasn't just like, it's slowly, you know, it's slowly, the rains went away, the clouds parted. No, it's boom, calm. You're covered in salt water. You just like, you just finished letting him go, and then you're just, the, the ship's perfect. You're just cruising again. Like, what just happened? It's a miracle. The Lord was, Jonah might have lost his witness, but the Lord hadn't lost his this this show of power was specifically for the Lord for these sailors to understand who the God that this prophet was disobeying was the God of Yahweh. It was a witness it was a sign to them. And it says in verse 16 then the men speaking of the sailors feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Essentially they were saved. They came to a belief and a knowledge of the one true God through all of this. And it's encouraging me because although we're flawed and we mess up, you know, sometimes we're sleeping because of our sin. I think we can all attest to that. We miss out, we disobey the Lord. You know, he tells us a word, maybe through scripture, uh, maybe for some of you even audibly, and and you completely ignore it and you run away like Jonah did. And although we're flawed, I'm thankful that our God uses flawed people for his great work. Because even though in Jonah's sin, the Lord was able to redeem it once Jonah showed some... It's repentance, and he showed that by speaking of his God and saying, "This is who I serve. This is why it's going on. I stand for the Lord, even in my sin. I still stand for the Lord." And the Lord used that that little piece of evangelism to emphasize who He was through this storm and through the calming of the sea. The Lord used even in Jonah's sin and his flawed nature, He used this situation for His glory, and He brought these sailors to a saving salvation. Now, Jonah just experienced a huge opportunity of grace. He was completely going in the wrong direction, and the Lord brings a storm to turn him around, to stop him, to redirect, to refocus, and he's shown this patience. And the reason I titled it Running Into Patience is because Jonah didn't know he was running. He thought he was running away from the Lord, but he didn't know he was actually running into patience of God, the long-suffering of the Lord by running into the storm by the Lord bringing this into his life. And for you and I, I really want to encourage you to look at the storms in your life. And some of you may be going through perfecting and you just needed to hear that word today. Like, I've been going through this stuff and I have no idea why. Like, there's no sin. And the Lord's just reminding you, hey, you're going through a perfecting storm. I'm growing you through this situation. But some of you who are going through a correcting storm and you're going through it. It's like in the middle of the storm. It's It's the first temptuous is happening right now. And the Lord's giving you a choice. Like, today's the day to wake up. Today's the day to wake up from your sleep and realize that you've been missing out from being used by me to reach this world that's crying out for hope and salvation. And like you, I had to come to a point where I was like, Lord, is this me? Am I truly asleep? And I asked that you guys would allow the Lord to examine your hearts and speak to you like Jonah did. He allowed the Lord to, to bring this out. He gave him an opportunity. Who are you? Jonah's like, this is who I am. Gets thrown to the ocean. Verse 17, pick up with me as we finish the chapter. It says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And like us, you know, when we're in that correcting storm, sometimes we don't realize it right away what the Lord's doing. We don't realize that this is actually a show of love and grace and long suffering. The Lord is, is using the storm to break us down. And like Jonah, he wasn't fully ready to go to Nineveh yet. And the Lord said he prepared a great fish. And that word prepared, you could say he ordained this fish. So the Lord wasn't just long suffering with one circumstance, this storm. But the Lord was about to show more patience by using this fish for three days and three nights. And in this belly of the whale, Jonah would come to a place where he finally gets it. Okay, I have to go back and I have to be obedient. Now, he doesn't fully get it. We see that later in, the cha- in chapter 4. He actually gets upset with the Lord. Why are you so gracious and merciful? I can't believe you're so gracious and merciful to the Ninevites. And he still doesn't get it. He's kind of messed up. But I, I think it's good and encouraging for us that sometimes we won't get it too. But for Jonah, he's going to jump into this fish, or he's going to get swallowed by this fish. He's going to be sitting here, and he's going to start quoting the Psalms. And we won't get too deep into it, but a majority of his repentant prayer is found in the Psalms. And if you would, as we end today, one more place to turn. Turn with me to Psalm 139. I found it humorous that Jonah knew the Psalms by heart, because again, remember, this is after, this is during the times of Kings. And if you're here with us on the midweeks, we just started 2 Kings, so I encourage you to come out and uh, and study with us. By the time we get to chapter 14, you will be well prepared for Jonah being mentioned. But turn with me to Psalm 139. It's a familiar Psalm, but it's one that Jonah didn't necessarily know. And I think it's important for us to leave with this on our minds. Starting in verse 7, Psalm 139. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. It's important to realize that the Lord's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go if you're going through it, especially a perfecting storm, but he's also not going to let you go if you're living in sin. You're his child and he loves you. And he's going to bring that correction to redirect you, to refocus you so that you can have a life abundant in him. But it's important for us to realize that those storms are not his anger against us. It's his long suffering and patience with us. And I am thankful, like we said earlier this morning, I am thankful we have a God who loves us enough that he's gonna wait for us. He's gonna show us that patience. He's gonna extend that love. And yeah, it may not feel good. You know, it may not feel good on us or it, you know, I think again of being a kid, like I never liked it. I never did. But looking back, I'm very thankful for those times of discipline because I learned. And for us, when we go through those storms, we don't like it. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. It brings us to a place of brokenness. But as we grow through it and we look back, we see the Lord's hand was using it to perfect us and grow us so we might be more effective for him. Amen? Let's pray. dearly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example that we have in Jonah I thank you, God, for your love for us, and the fact that you're patient with us, Lord. I even thank you for bringing us in this time, even in the middle of our current series. Lord, help for a troubled heart. You, know, you, you have allowed us to be aware of where we're at, Lord, so that we can help those with troubled hearts. Lord, I, I pray that you would wake us up, that we'd be more effective in these last days, as our world seems to be going and being turned upside down with all these events and all these tragedies, Lord. I pray that you give us boldness like Jonah to, to say the hard thing. Lord, to stand up for righteousness, to, to come to that place of repentance. Lord, to allow you to do a work in our hearts so that we might be used, even in our, in our flaws, Lord, that you might use those for your glory. I pray right now, Lord, that you would strengthen us. Lord, that you would be with us as we go out. But specifically, if, if there's someone here today and, and maybe you're like the sailors, You know, you've been crying out to your idols and you're realizing it just doesn't work. You know, the things that have been happening around the world have brought you to a place where, man, you know, I came to church today because I am afraid. I am scared of what's going on. And you're looking for that salvation. You're crying out for that love, that hope, that graciousness. If that's you today and and you would like to call out to the one true God today, would you stand so I could lead you in a prayer? That's you and you just realize, "I, I need the Lord. Amen. I need the Lord. I need that true salvation. I need that hope. I need that love. I'm like those sailors caught in the midst of this storm. I don't know what to do. If that's you, please stand. Amen. And as, as others are standing, if you're wrestling with that decision, I want to encourage you please make that decision. Be like those sailors. Come to that point where you realize that your idols aren't doing enough. Your idols are not what's working for you anymore. You need the one true God in your life. Amen. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer and you can uh, repeat it after me. The Bible's really clear. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So I'll be leading you in this prayer of, of how to do that. It simply goes like this. Dear Lord... I receive your salvation. I understand that I have sinned against you. I have made those mistakes. But I also understand that you love me despite those mistakes. Lord, I repent from those sins. I ask that you would forgive me for those mistakes against you. Lord, I ask that you would give me the strength and the endurance to walk with you, to love you, to worship you. I believe with my heart, Lord, that Jesus is God, that he came down and he died, and three days later he rose erected because he loved me for my salvation. I thank you, Lord, and I praise you